This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey, so glad you could join me for this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the founders, the farmers, the innovators and investors, the people shaping the future of the agriculture industry. And we have been lucky to highlight several interesting ag technologies on this show in the three years that we've been doing this. Each one of them, you know, is a little bit distinct in its own way and solves a unique problem that many producers face on their farms and ranches. But when you start thinking about these things from a practical level and you think, boy, if I'm a farmer and I have all these technologies for my irrigation, I have all these technologies for my production, I have all these te- technologies for my crop nutrition, and I have all these technologies that are coming at me from satellites, from drones, from fixed wing, from sensors on the ground, you know, how am I supposed to keep all this stuff straight? Am I supposed to have an app for each and every one of these technologies on my phone and track them individually? And I think the answer to that is probably not. In fact, the data is most valuable and the insights from that data is most valuable when you can take them out of their individual silos and combine them together, especially when you throw in artificial intelligence, which we're going to hear about today. But before I introduce you to today's guest, we do have a sponsor for this episode, so I would like to thank Indigo Ag. We didn't get to the moon by accepting that man can't fly, and we sure didn't get the car by settling for the horse. Progress isn't driven by accepting things as they are. It's driven by asking questions. At Indigo, we're working with farmers to question the entire agriculture system, to reimagine everything from soil to sale. Yeah, we like the big projects. Go to indigoag.com slash questions to find out more. Indigo, from questions we grow. Thank you once again to Indigo Ag for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. We have on the show today a pretty interesting startup company in agriculture that's sort of tying it all together and creating decision support tools for our farmers. We have on the show Anastasia Volkova. She's a CEO and founder of Fluorosat. Fluorosat was started in Australia in 2016 and has since grown to the U.S. and also seven other countries are available in nine countries currently. And essentially what Fluorosat is doing is their sort of flagship product is called called FluoroSense. It's an advanced agronomic analytics engine that brings decades of research in ag modeling and artificial intelligence to the farm. FluoroSense provides workflow integrated, scalable decision support, crop performance tracking, and early stress detection. Very, very interesting stuff. Essentially, what Anastasia and her team are doing are partnering with these companies that have these tools to collect the data. Then they're applying their own research and artificial intelligence to that data to bring insights that are actionable, to make sure that the farmer doesn't have to know everything that's going on every time. They need to know what needs to be addressed and when there's going to be a problem. So essentially, they're automating the data collection and analysis. It helps agronomists and farmers to make more timely, profitable decisions by focusing on what really matters. So pretty cool way to bring this together. So cool, in fact, that they just raised a a bunch of money this past summer led by M12, which is Microsoft's venture capital 
capital arm. So definitely catching some attention there and growing worldwide. I really enjoyed this interview with Anastasia. She's a trained aeronautical engineer, and she's worked in kind of academia and business concurrently for six or seven years now. She's going to start off by talking a little bit about kind of when she discovered that she didn't want to be an aeronautical engineer anymore, but she wanted to solve these problems for agricultural producers and agronomists. Check it out. When I was in my PhD, we discovered this opportunity that actually remote sensing, which is a part of aerospace that I was focusing on, can be extremely useful for agriculture. And I did my PhD at Sydney University here in Australia. And here, agriculture is such a massive industry. It's such a you know, in-your-face industry, you can't go outside and not notice that, oh, here are local producers of dairy, here are local producers of grain, here is in the news. So, you know, Tim, from that perspective, I think I was immersed in the world of, okay, agriculture is a very big deal for economy, and it might need some help. And then we started discovering that actually there weren't enough decision support tools in agriculture that could move the needle significantly. There was a lot of data that was coming at agronomists and farmers, and it was all non-structured and not married with science. And for me as an entrepreneur, but also as an academic, that felt like a bit of a mayhem. And I thought that because I had the skills in remote sensing and the desire to build software that solves problems for people and some experience in making a business out of that, I wanted to take that on. And this is how it all converged in one point with hmm. Firesight. And maybe maybe you knew back then, or maybe you've learned since, but was the lack of tools the the only reason why it was sort of unstructured and, and, and unscientific? Or, or what have you found to be, you know, barriers to maybe making this a more structured process? Or is it simply just creating the right tools? No, no, you're right. Other barriers. Uh, and actually, there are studies that are done on that. It's not just my discovery. So, for example, I often refer to national studies that are done in Australia by the boards of different industries. So, you know, for example, like Grain Board, Cotton Board, the Livestock Board, all of them together have funded one big study that have, have, has found that the barriers to adoption of precision agriculture are first and foremost the fact that data is siloed so that all the different sources of data, they lived separately from each other. And that's the big problem because then agronomist has to work as the contextualizer. And we as people, we're not wired to process large quantities of data and contextualize them really well. So that's our problem number one. Problem number two, as per that study and as per my experience in the field these three years, it's not that the agronomists are not skilled. They are skilled but they're not trained as you know, remote sensing engineers, as weather scientists. They're not trained to an extent to which they need to have knowledge to be able to bring all this information together. Whilst these systems simply need to converge and meet each other at the point where they're actually useful for the end user in their final state, as opposed to giving them a half-baked product. And that problem of not being able to have enough people with enough expertise or experience accessing the data that's integrated or connected. This is what has been portrayed in, in my experience is the main barrier or two barriers, however you want to see them, to adoption of precision agriculture. 
the data integration piece is, is extremely important and and along with that the ability to translate you know siloed data into actionable insights that's easy to digest and easy to easy to access. Uh, obviously, that's that's sort of the holy grail, I, I imagine. I ma- imagine a lot of companies are probably chasing that. What is what is Florosat's approach to that? I believe we have a pretty unique approach. And yes, you can imagine our investors backed us because that approach is fairly different. Um, so I've chosen a partnership approach to it and an approach that is a comprehensive one. So basically, the way we look at it we say, okay, the data is already in different systems. It's already there. There is no need to pretend that we need to build another collection system. So how do we go about minimizing the double entry of data and making sure that it's all connected to the right decision support tools? Okay, well, the first step is obvious. You need to build integrations with different platforms to be able to access that information, whether you are on the tractor of this color or that color, the system should be able to connect to your system in the tractor and access the data so that you don't have to double enter it. It has very important implications, which I'll talk about later on in terms of, for example, for compliance, which I think the growers and the agribusiness professionals listening to your podcast would be really interested in looking at the data from that perspective. But as far as Florisat goes, accessing the data from different sources, it can be weather, tractors, satellite drones, planes, it can be IoT sensors, it can be machines that are surveying soil. All of that for Florisat platform comes in semi-automated or you know there's an API access to some of those platforms so there's a way to add it. So we're simplifying the collection piece. The second building block for us is the ability to bring in the science to act on this homogenized data layer and All of these data slices that I've just talked about, they are often insufficient to run proper science. And by proper, I mean in an academic way where you have a model and it has 48 input parameters. None of the commercial agronomists have all of the input parameters. It's just a nightmare. You cannot imagine them having it. And so what Florisat is doing, we're taking that model and we're trying to infer some of the parameters that are helpful so that the commercial agronomist has an interface which is a human you know human perceivable easy to use interface that says okay well here is how we see your weather forecast do you think it's going to be heavier rain or lighter rain adjust this slider what do you have for for example nitrogen that you have the opportunity to apply if we see the rain coming do we have this much left or this much left and sometimes if we have access to other systems we can see how much they have left sometimes we do not but we built a very simple interface that allows to connect two pieces of information. The science that often the growers have already paid for in their checkoff dollars, in their tax payments, their own data and the systems that are able to help apply that information. So that's the third building block for us, being able to pass the information back to the systems that can help apply this information. We talk directly to tractors, our shapefiles, and recommendations have been used to send drones to spray weeds in sugarcane. It's such a variety of applications. So, of course, from the basic, send a human to this point because this is where their attention is most required, or give this logic or business manager a sorting table where these fields need to be harvested first, this needs to be need to be harvested last. It's everything from that decision making to 
okay, and now when we look at this field and we have all this layered data in the modeling, how much fertilizer do we apply? Okay, this is the file, and you can send it directly to the tractor and use it. So just to recap, because I understand that's a lot of information, we basically layer and homogenize the data that we integrate from different sources. That's step number one. Step number two, we run science that's proven academically on it, and we have licenses and partnerships to what research institutions and universities have developed. And then step three, we output very specific actionable information that often gets connected either back to farm management system or to equipment or to the interface that a human operator can easily use it in. Hmm. What is the pain point as far as from the farmer? Obviously, you know, more decision to support is is good, but I, I don't meet a lot of farmers that are that are kind of running around saying, boy, if I just had more, you know, more data. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So so what's what's the old way? What are they doing with all this silo data? And when does a light bulb come on that said, oh, wow, yeah, I, this is exactly what I've needed all along and just never known I needed it? Yeah, so to be honest with you, so firstly, we are solving that problem of I don't need more data. Like, I am completely convinced that people do not need more data. There is so much data, they cannot perceive it in a way that is meaningful to them right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a system like Fluorescence, which is the name of our product, it looks at your data automatically. It basically, instead of showing you all of the information all the time, it just shows you the important bits. It gives you the alerts. You put the farm under monitoring, you plug in your system, you say, okay, I have these sources of information, please collect them on my behalf. Um, the grower implicitly, you know, it, it, or explicitly, depending on what is the method they're using to log in, but gives access to those systems. So it can be to the tractor, it can be to their weather station, et cetera. But then the experience is not that they're looking at more data and that they're looking at less information and they're still confident they're not missing anything. Because, hey, here's the anomaly that's occurring in your field. This is a problem. Here's the crop performance report. Here is the nitrogen application time is coming up. This is how you can pull in the variable rate maps in one click. It's that type of simplification that we live in. We live post the data flood <laughs> era, and this era forces us to be very user-friendly. I would also add that you're saying, okay, what's the old way? The old way is just simply not to adopt precision agriculture. This is the old way. There is no way that a human can look at daily satellite imagery, look at 24-7 weather information, and make a, a meaningful decision every second of their working day. Instead, they're overwhelmed, and the fact that they're overwhelmed leads to them not actually making any decisions and then saying, okay, well, let's go with the old practice. And we want to enable the precision agriculture for the industry by giving them the tools that are simple to use, intuitive, and then cut through this noise by giving them just the important bits and also doing the monitoring on their behalf largely, which simplifies the workload for them. Hmm. Would you mind sharing a success story of a uh, agronomist or a farmer that you've worked with, with Fluorosat that's, or with Fluorosense, I guess would be the mm -hmm. product, and kind of the before and after of what that transformation looks like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We actually have quite a number of success stories with even, you know, closest to my heart is our early adopters, people who I personally started working with three years ago. They're still with us and they're successful. And so I'll tell the story of one of them. Um, let's make up the agronomist's name and his name will be Steve, for example. And 
Steve has a farmer and let's make the name of the farmer uh, to be Jeff. And so Steve has been working with us for three years and he's been using and helping us build different products inside Fluorescence. And one of the key products that Steve has helped us to build has been the nitrogen recommendation product because where he is providing services and advice in that area, they have quite a bit of rainfall, but also some frost and some other weather effects that need to be monitored. And the success story for them has been that they've been able to use the range of tools with us from using the nitrogen variable rate application maps that, as I mentioned, go straight to the tractor and they have seen really nice uplifts in the yield to things like, okay, when it's a, it's a frost event that they need to be monitoring, they've been able to get the frost map from fluorescence and make a decision on cutting the crop that they had for uh, hay uh, part of the field and leaving the rest of the field to harvest for grain. Um, this is quite important to cut losses. So at least these two angles should give you an idea of here's a, here's a grain agronomist in the rain-fed growing region and with his farmers, they've been adopting fluorescence for three years and every year they have something new coming up and they use a range of tools and for different fields they have um, different tools that are available to them, whether it's nitrogen application, whether it's stress detection, whether it's support on frost mapping or whatever it might be. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, it does. And was all of that data already available to them beforehand and you just kind of brought it all together and made it actionable? Or did, did you actually provide some additional data, data on top of whatever partners you were with? Yeah, that's, that's quite an important point. We actually collect quite a bit of data on their behalf as well, on behalf of our customers. So for example, if you just have a tractor and a farm management system, you might not have access to accurate weather data, which we collect for every farm that we have on our platform. You might not use satellite imagery. You might not get monitoring with plane or drone, which for different circumstances, we might order for our clients, for example. And collecting all that information, so let's just, for example, give a, get a basic, uh, uh, take a basic case for consideration here, so satellite imagery and weather data. Those two give us enough information to understand what crop growth stage it is, what it should be looking like, what it's looking like instead, because we know the planting date and we know how much fertilizer or other products has been applied to it. And we are able to say at a given point in time, hey, if you're looking at making this decision, this is the best way of doing it. So answering your question, it's a combined approach. Some of the data they have, and we integrated with the systems where their data lived, some of the data we brought, but together it builds a holistic solution which answers very specific questions at a given point in time. And where does your training, if it does at all, I don't know, maybe I'm assuming, but where does your training in, in aeronautical engineering enter the picture? <laughs> I love this question. So in aeronautical engineering, what I have done, and you can look up my, my doctorate, it's you know publicly available. I have done mapping of areas, meaning that I understand how to bring together the data from drone, plane, and satellite, um, because there is normally quite a fair bit of geospatial error because there are so many satellites going over the globe. They don't, they never end up at the same time. It's the same point in orbit next time they pass over a specific point. 
So for example, every time they shift a little bit, and then you need to correct the imagery that those satellites give you so you can make sense of it in the temporal domain. So what my area of study was in my PhD was specifically to understand how, from the perspective of radiometric calibration and geospatial calibration, bring the data, remote sensing data, from different sources together. And now it's extremely helpful because, you know, we have tools like change detection for our growers. And it's not just simple change detection, it's the intelligent change detection that looks at what is the type of stress that might be developing here. I think I source a lot of insight in how we've built our satellite cloud and shadow detection machine learning models and how we've built tools to bring together the plane and the satellite data. All of that, I think, ultimately comes from my PhD that just gives me confidence that I understand how it should work. So I think that's how it enters the picture. Gotcha. And the decision support that you offer, as you started Fluorosat, did you focus on certain decisions? Is that mm-hmm. the right way to go about it? Is like saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to focus on decisions related to nitrogen application, and then we're going to focus on decisions related to planting or, or herbicide It's actually very true. Exactly, Tim. That's, that's actually how we started. We started from nutrition. We started from the problem that we wanted to solve and we're still working on solving, which is the farmers want to make sure their crop is successful. One way that they can make sure their crop is successful is to give enough nutrition to their crop, meaning fertilize it. When they fertilize it, it's unclear what is the right level of fertility product that needs to be applied. And let's put it this way. If you have made a bet of a million dollars on a crop, would you want to save a couple hundred dollars or you know, even a few thousand dollars on cutting back that nutrition product? Or would you not mind and put it down as insurance, as they call it? Yeah, you'd apply so it liberally. <laughs> you'd apply it liberally, right? And this is where we see a little bit of a sustainability question comes in play, where if we actually gave the growers the right tools or the agronomists to make that decision of what's the right level of fertility, and in some cases it's higher than what they're doing because they have higher potential, they have higher soil moisture and the rain is coming. But in some cases they have depleted their potential or the crop is at the growth stage where it's not useful anymore to apply for, for tonnage and yield, for example. It's only useful to apply for protein, but if they're not growing for protein in grain scenario, it doesn't matter, for example. So we started from that nutrition problem, which we are still working on solving, to be able to give a grower everywhere on earth the ability to say, this is what is a good amount for me in this season for this crop in the soil under such whatever conditions as I have. Hmm. So that's the nutrition piece. Mm -hmm. And then we started working on other questions and other decisions that are made in season. And there are quite a few of them, right? So for example, in the same vein, when they can over-apply nutrition product. Same can happen with the chemical. There are a number of crops that require chemical application and there's nothing you know, bad or ugly about it. That's how the way we produce food. And it's been studied that those are, I wouldn't say sustainable, but they're safe for us to be using in food production. But how can we minimize the amount of chemical that's been used there by not just targeting the application? You know, everyone's talking about variable rate applications and how it saves money. It's very basic, right? If you don't need it over the whole field, don't apply it over the whole field. That makes sense. 
but there is a next stage to it, which is if they're doing, if they're making several applications, can we cut back on one of them? Can we give them peace of mind that we have monitored the crop and projected its growth and it does not need another application or delay your first application and make only two, not three, for example. So that was our next step with Fluorescent. Powering such decisions as, you know, plant growth control regulator or desiccant or, you know, those chemical sprays for, for crops, basically. And this is where we got pretty good at anomaly detection, at stress detection, in understanding, okay, this anomaly is growing in your field and in such weather conditions that we observed and in the crop growth stage, we understand it looks like it might be disease. You might not be able to do anything with it or just turn off irrigation for that section. Or, for example, if it's passed, you should go and apply something now because it's expanding as an issue. Hmm. So that was our second problem that we were focusing on solving, so the chemical application. And now it's a bit broader because the platform has become more comprehensive. And so there's a number of decisions that people are making using our data because we produce some just crop performance metrics. And what those mean is that you can compare different fields on your farm in terms of maturity. And in different points in season, you can make different decisions using that, right? Where to first apply nitrogen or where to start harvesting. So we are now seeing that there is a quite a holistic set of tools that allows growers and advisors to make decisions across the course of the whole season. And how limited limited are you on crop type? Are, are you focused on specific crops or is it is that really not a factor? That's a very good question. And in early stages, the answer was we're focused on commodity crop because this is where we were mostly focused and this is where most of our energy was going into. But we've grown. And as of earlier this year, we started providing decision support for the crops we haven't been openly working as much with before, but we've been in trials. Things like you know trees and vineyards. And we started working with those types of crops because as I mentioned to you, it's crop performance based and it's our understanding of remote sensing and understanding of what's in the image that really helps to isolate the signal of say tree or vine from soil or weeds in between that now is of such value and given our interfaces so developed and intuitive that we discovered that that industry was ready to take up our product even if we didn't know how to advise them on nitrogen application because this is not a simple um, question in their industry. But hmm. now we're much broader in terms of the crop applications than we were when we started. So we were focused first and now we, we're getting applied in many different industries. Just different tools will effectively morph themselves differently if you set up different farms in fluorescence. If, right. Tim, if you set up a corn farm, farm in Nebraska, it will do one thing. But if you set up a vineyard in Mendocino, it will do another thing. It will yeah. kind of morph to what you're trying to do. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. And I imagine the, the more acreage you have that you're collecting this data on, probably the, the smarter you can get as far as helping more and more farmers. Exactly. And that's only one side of it, because another side of, of fluorescence that growers and advisors really love is the fact that we're building them a baby AI agronomist. And we're not saying that it's going to be smarter than them, but they participate in growing this AI child. Effectively, what I'm trying to say is that you are feeding your own model, your own information. So if you say, if fluorescence tells you, Tim, that on your farm you have the 
green snap occurring somewhere. And sorry for such a brutal example, but let's make it palpable. <laughs> so let's, let's imagine green snap happened and you say, okay, fluorescence, yes, this is green snap. And fluorescence comes back in four days with a new image and says, hey, well, Tim, maybe this is green snap too. And you say, okay, that's, that's, that's true. I can ground truth that, and that's true. So you can teach it mm -hmm. and give it confidence in what it's detecting because it learns from local history. And that means that, for example, if the soil is prone to um, develop certain stresses in certain crops, the platform will learn that. So this is what we ultimately want the growers to have, to have their own model of how their farm behaves. And it can change over time, but it's better than their neighbors. It's theirs. It's their own. As long as we stay the masters and, and they Absolutely. don't take over, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, like with our level of intelligence, I don't think anyone will take over. But, uh, okay. Yeah. Good, good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> when did you decide it was time to expand to the U.S.? You started the company in Australia. You've since moved to L.A. to expand mm -hmm. into the U.S. You still have a, a base in Australia. But when did you decide, you know, we, we really need to take this to, to, the, to the States? You know, every coin has two sides and uh, it was Australian drought that prompted us to consider international expansion. And our business has been international from day one because we would just discover that, oh, someone in Bulgaria is using our system for this. Hmm. Or oh, how, how so? It's like, oh yeah, they just logged in and they just set up the farm and they're already doing this and that and they pulled this shapefile and that shapefile. It's like, oh, fantastic. So it's helping someone. The American expansion was obviously a more deliberate decision because it's a, it's a venture in and on its own. And for Australia, the market here isn't a big enough market to be just staying Australia-focused. And for Fleurisad, the ambition has always been to be global. We have, as a part of our mission, the global sense to it, that we want to help grow high-impact and high-value crops sustainably across the globe. And for the U.S., we thought, okay, what's another good market that's offset in terms of seasonality from Australia? And obviously, it's either Europe or U.S. Europe, although that might be my home market, Europe is unfortunately quite constrained in terms of regulations and takes time to get into. So now when we're looking at Europe, we're looking at it as a more mature company. When we have partnerships, we have international partners that are already successfully working with us and we can go to Europe with them. For the US, we had a few partners who got us started there. It was not this year, it was a year before. So we started operating in the US in 2018 and we started with our strength with you know nitrogen and cotton and those types of applications. We were lucky that US um, wasn't going through a similar type of event that Australia was in terms of you know, issues with water availability. And later on, we discovered that it's a very good strategy to be able to run the company in both hemispheres because that gives us the opportunity to develop products twice as fast. And, you know, as a baby company, we couldn't do that. But So we only, for the first year, we focused on Australia, but Australia had a terrific season that year when we started. And we had crop year-round, and we had so much work to do that we grew substantially as a company in the first year. But then in the second year, Australia started entering drought. We expanded to the U.S. And then we started our 
ongoing strategy, which is build the product in one hemisphere and bring it to the other hemisphere and improve it and bring it back. And it's kind of a circle for us now. Hmm. I'm just curious, and I don't know anything about the sort of the Australia investment scene, but but have you found that has it has it been easier to access U.S. investors with having a presence in the U.S., like a market presence in the U.S., or is that are those two pretty much unrelated things? No, no, no. You're absolutely right. It's so much easier and it's straightforward to connect those two because if you have well-known U.S.-based investors. They might be global funds, but U.S. economy is the largest economy that a company can target. And if the company is not successful in the U.S., I think it raises many questions and concerns. Because if I were in an, in the investor's shoes and was looking at the company that is is out there somewhere, but not in the U.S., maybe in Australia, maybe in Brazil, maybe in Ukraine, maybe anywhere really. If you're not in the number one market and you're looking competitive and you're able to get traction, maybe your product is not that great after all, right? Hmm. Because this is where the competition and this is where the, the things are tested for real. This is why I think U.S. market is so important. And this is why it was so interesting for us to, to, to make it there, to demonstrate that here is our new view of the precision agriculture tools and decision support tools. We believe in integration and partnerships. We don't believe in vertical ownership. We don't want to build our own sensors. We don't want to operate them. We want to specialize on what is good for the data. Cleaning the data, bringing it together with the science and doing all the plumbing, as they call it, to connect the data to where it needs to go. And this is what we're going to specialize on. And there's enough business in that. And we need to prove it. And we we have. And the American market has definitely been uh, receptive. They have experience the problem of data flood to a even higher degree than Australia. And that has been very useful for us because they've been uh, wanting and looking for a solution like ours. So our early adopters are very proactive and extremely helpful to us. And those are now American agronomic advisors and food processors and US-based companies who are driving our product roadmap. Along the same lines as, as the, the investor conversation, I know this past summer, you all announced a, a seed round co-led by, by Microsoft's VC fund M12. Uh, can, you, can you shed a little bit of light? And I, obviously, I don't have them on here to talk from firsthand experience, but from your perspective, you know, what attracts a company like Microsoft to investing in this space? It's a very interesting question. I, from a personal perspective, because I can't speak on their behalf, think that it's the approach that I've been talking to you about today. It's the partnership approach, is the distributed ownership approach, it's the approach that we have, which is the comprehensive approach to how we're going to build these different tools. And they've looked at our attraction, they've looked at how eager the customers are to have their system plugged into the engine like Fluorescence. And that, I think, has been very convincing for them. They've been maybe even looking to make a move in this space, but nothing maybe felt quite right. I can't, once again, speak on their behalf, but it's not that they haven't looked at ag tech before, right? Like they're a massive fund, of course they have. And I believe that Microsoft's strategy to empower partners and to create value for partners is very much resonating with us. And what we offer to the market 
felt right to Microsoft as well, and they felt like they could support it and uh, help us grow. Yeah, I, I am so intrigued by the by the partner approach. And I don't know if this is a good parallel to draw, but I know for me, I use a whole bunch of software as a service tools in my business. And I, and I use one tool in particular called Zapier, or it might be pronounced Zapier. I'm not sure I've only read it, but to, to connect several of them. So if one thing happens, another tool, you know, I can have something else automatically happen on another tool. And I, now I know obviously your product goes much further than that and actually, you know, developing the insights that can come from how those tools are used. But that's sort of how I think about the plumbing as, as you called it. Now, from, from a partner perspective, I could see the benefit of, of saying, yeah, I want, I want my tool to be available via Fluorosense because maybe that opens up the door for more customers for them. Are, are there any downsides mm-hmm. or, or do you run into any resistance there of like, hey, we don't, we don't want to be partners? <laughs> I think, Tim, the only downside is when people are trying to play in vertical ownership. So for example, if we want a certain data stream to be coming to us and this is what the customers want as well, sometimes the company can say, okay, we will give it to you, but they're not maybe as eager to provide it because they have a mandate in front of their own investors, maybe as a VC-backed company, to provide analytics themselves. And maybe their analytics is of a different kind. And you know, I keep talking about the fact that you cannot make a soup out of one ingredient. You cannot make a dish out of that. That's why you cannot make a comprehensive analytics decision based on just one data stream or just a few. That's why Fluorescence collects everything it can possibly find. That I think in, in cases where there's some vertical ownership, and by that I mean maybe data capture and then on top of that some basic analytics, maybe this is where we're encountering a little bit of resistance. But apart from that, you know, giants in the industry are fully supporting this and we are very glad to see that, that that's happening because they understand that someone needs to be just bridging that gap between the data and what's important to surface at this moment. Maybe as machine is going over this acre, what's important to know for the grower? What's the decision they're making there or at this point in time and season? So we we see much more enthusiasm than resistance overall when we're working on our partnerships. Right. And, and this probably goes without saying, but I, I, I want to be really clear about it. I imagine all the data that gets generated is used, you know, for that farmer specifically or, or sort of aggregated for general insights to help farmers in general. And it's not a, a revenue stream for you to, to in any way sell that data. Definitely not a revenue stream. We're not even building tools for that. So clearly not. But from the perspective of farmers' own desire to benchmark against their community, this is something that is allowed. So for example, if you're growing potato in a specific region, you kind of want to know how you're stacking against other, other potato growers. Mm-hmm. And it might be you who gets, gets access to that data. It might be a company who's contracting you that pays for fluorescence to be provided to you. But this is ultimately where the efficiencies come from where we can help the world look at where the attention needs to be drawn first and foremost. So for example, if this potato is doing better than this potato, but they're actually in the same region and of the same variety, maybe this other one needs some help. And it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but that's a, that's a benchmark. So that information is starting to become available in fluorescence. And this has been actually driven by growers and, and producers and th- themselves. Hmm. 
Well, we've almost spoken for a full hour and I haven't even really asked you about the business model, <laughs> but are, as you, <laughs> as you kind of roll this out, are, are you, uh, you know, targeting like the food companies that, that, that want to have more data on their supply chains? Is it the agronomists that are looking for better tools to provide more informed decisions or is it the farmers themselves? I, I think we talked about a little bit of a blend between the agronomists and the farmers, but until you just said that last answer, I hadn't even thought about the food companies. Then mm-hmm. uh, along with that, how does Florisat make money and, and make all these investors happy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite part, making a change in the world can't happen without making a business. That's what I think, that we need to be making someone money. And our customers are the first target for this, not even our investors. And so who, who's our main customer? So actually, it's an agronomist. So our main user is an agronomist. And this agronomist can be hired by many different types of companies in the food supply chain or in the agricultural production chain. So sometimes these agronomists are independent consultants. Sometimes these agronomists are part of the large independent companies when they're providing services as well as soil and tissue testing, etc. You know, there's plenty of those in the U.S. and they're doing a wonderful job for the local communities. And this is who we empower. We basically give agronomists superpowers to be able to get on top of the data and return some of their some of the time back into their days and weeks so they can spend it with their families. But where those agronomists also coming from is some of the food processors and uh, companies further upstream because they also hire agronomists that also make these decisions. And we are basically finding ourselves powering these decisions all the way through across the supply chain. So we're not quite putting our data into, you know, any tokens, into any transactions, into any kind of supply chain chain tracking solutions. We have had those discussions and I think ultimately it's going to go that way. And as I alluded to earlier in our chat today, that it might be also useful compliance. You know, if you already have all the data sitting in one spot and you just want to make sure that your bale of cotton is certified as as a correctly grown bale of cotton according to the best management practices, okay, well, all the data is already here. You can run the check on on the files from the tractor and there you go, it's all done. Maybe there's some third-party authentication, but this is all, you know, a few years down the line. Right now, it's agronomists making decisions on behalf of farmers. Farmers are beneficiaries of the platform. They They can get access to the platform. They don't have to drive it themselves. Normally, their agronomist drives it, but once again, their agronomists are coming from all different points in the supply chain. I hope that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, Anastasia Volkova, thank you so much for being on the show. Anything that we didn't get to that you think is real important for our listeners to hear about, about Fluorosat or Fluorosense is the product that, that might be helpful and of interest? What might be of interest to your audience is that we're growing in the U.S. And obviously for those who are interested in our work and want to see if there are opportunities that are matching their skill sets, they can just get in touch with us and visit Fluorosite website. And yeah, I would say that that's the most important for your audience that I can give as a takeaway right now. And maybe we also discussed with you that there's maybe a perk that we can give your audience, did we? Yes. Yep, we did. <laughs> I keep my promises. So you can go on to our Fluorosat website, go to Fluorosense, and you'll be able to request a free 30-day trial. And when our customer support contacts you at the right time, you just can mention that you've heard about it from Tim Hammer in, in the podcast, and you'll be all good for 30 days. Love that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that generous offer. I hope people take you up on that. 
it, this has been really, really fascinating, Anastasia. Thank you for being on the show. And I, I just really enjoy, you have a great way of, of, of articulating the vision and how it works. And I, I really appreciated this talk today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tim, for having me and uh, all the best with the future episodes. Thanks so much again to Anastasia for being on the show, and thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the show every single week. As I said at the very top of the show, I would love your feedback so that I can continue to evolve this program uh, for your benefit so that it's more valuable for those of you who listen. So please head to futureofag.com to take that brief survey. And if you haven't yet and you want to leave us a rating and review, I'd sure appreciate one of those as well on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much for your time and your attention, and the curiosity and entrepreneurialism of this group is, is always what keeps me going every single week. We'll be back next week with another Ag Innovator. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating Ag Innovator here next week. Hey,